Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. Thank you for coming to the Gate Christian Bible Church today to be with me. Otherwise, I would be by myself. I don't mind being by myself, but I like being with you today, and we're going to wrap up the sermon series that we started 10 weeks ago called The Truth Heals, Set Free from the Problems of Life, and if you would keep me in your prayers, I'd like this to be a book, and so this would be chapter 10 today, The Truth Heals Future Problems. One of my favorite movies is Back to the Future. You know that one? Back to the Future 2 is kind of interesting because Biff, Biff is like the bad character. He steals Doc's time machine and he travels back in time to assist his younger self in changing history. And this causes an alternative future to come into existence unless Marty can foil the plan. So imagine if Jesus never came. And what if Jesus didn't die on a cross? What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Think about how different our reality would be. But people live as if Jesus never came. And people live as if Jesus never died on a cross. And people live as if Jesus never rose from the dead. People are living an alternative universe, an alternative story that's not true. The truth is that Jesus has come and he died on a cross for our sins and he rose from the dead and those who are in Christ by faith in him will rise with him. That's the hope we have. See, the truth heals all problems. Last week we talked about the truth healing past problems and we focused on the cross. Today we're going to end with the future heals future problems and we're going to focus on the resurrection. The resurrection took care of my future problems. The cross solved my sin problem. The resurrection solves my death problem. Because if I am in Christ, then I am part of his body, the church, which he will take to be with him in heaven. Since he rose, I will rise. 2 Corinthians 4.14, read this verse with me. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. It doesn't say the Lord Jesus might raise us depending on how good we are. It does say that those are in him will rise. And Romans 8.11 is another verse that tells us how we rise, what power gives us the ability to raise from the dead. Read this with me. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, either like we said when we started this series, either this is true or it's not true. And if it's true, then we have a choice to believe it, not just know it here, but experience it in our life. In fact, if you are in Christ, 
at some point you were outside of Christ. You might have come to Christ as a little kid, but at some point you made a decision to trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. When that happened, you came alive in his spirit. In fact, the Bible said you became a new creation. You're not the old person. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he says something very important. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand or near. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the first act of repentance, which basically means to stop believing what I think is true, start believing what God says is true. The first act of repentance for anyone is to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus says something interesting there. He says, the kingdom of God is near. So who is he referring to? Himself. Jesus incarnate is the embodiment of God's kingdom. He shows us how to live, how to treat each other, what will happen to us because of the kingdom. We will rise with him. But is every aspect of God's kingdom here on earth? Think about that. If God's kingdom is completely here on earth in its fullness, would the earth be different? So what's going on? Because this is an important thing to ask. There's a lot of people who look at the world and go, if God is God, then why is everything still messed up? Well, here's the thing about God's kingdom. There's an already and a future, not yet. In fact, let's look at this. This is a chart that shows what's going on with God's kingdom. And this is important to know as a Christian. The world might not know this, but you should know this. Here's the kingdom now. When Jesus says the kingdom is and the kingdom is on this earth in certain aspects. First of all, we have salvation in Jesus Christ. That's part of God's kingdom, right? We have forgiveness of sins. Before Jesus died on the cross, that wasn't available, right? We have redemption which we are redeemed in Christ. We have justification, which means we're justified or declared not guilty. We have sanctification, which means we are holy and we are becoming holy in Christ. We have righteousness, which means we are right with God through Christ. We have access to God through Christ. And Satan's works are destroyed, according to 1 John, and that is what happened on the cross. So if Satan's work is destroyed, then why... Is he still active? We'll talk about that in a minute. But what about the future? What hasn't happened with regards to God's kingdom? Well, a lot. The Bible says in Revelation 26 that the church will reign with Christ on earth. So is Christ on earth by his spirit, but not physically. He's coming back and the church will reign with him. In Revelation 21, as we read, is a new heaven and a new earth. This is still the old earth. And the old earth is crying out for salvation. We have a plan for Israel, that Israel is going to be restored and redeemed. There's an eternal judgment that will happen according to Revelation 20, and Satan will be finally destroyed according to Revelation 20. So there's stuff that hasn't happened yet eschatologically. What's eschatology? Is the study of what? Eschatos means last things which is important to know so that we see the reality of what's going on. So here's a question. Where is Jesus now? At the right hand of the Father. That's right. So let's look at this chart, which shows what's going on now. So here's the cross that happened 2,000 years ago. 
and the resurrection and the ascension. So Jesus ascended to the Father. The Bible tells us that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? Interceding. He's our high priest. That's why we can go to the Father through him, our high priest. But one day in the future, he will come to take his church to be with him. We know this as the rapture. Okay, and it's to meet him in the air, as it talks about in 1 Thessalonians. Then there will be a seven-year great tribulation period where all hell breaks loose. It's the last stand that people get a final chance. And sadly, when you read Revelation that's going on, people are still mocking and blaspheming God, even though he sends angels in the air to write, worship God, they still mock him. But God is never giving up. But people give up. And then there'll be a kingdom reign. So Jesus will come and kick the butt of his enemies. And the Bible says that he comes on a white horse and the armies of heaven come with him, which I believe we are part of that army. So we have to take horse riding lessons because <laughs> I'm not good at that. And then there'll be a thousand year reign known as the millennium period. And then there will be a second resurrection. The unbelievers will rise to be judged. We rise ahead of time. That's the first resurrection. But the second resurrection, all the people who had rejected salvation through Jesus Christ will be judged according to their work and their deeds. And then the new heaven and new earth and the eternal kingdom will be the new heaven and new earth forever. There will be no more pain, tears, mourning, and all that, or death. So that's coming that's not here yet. Right? In fact, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, that's where it says, the Lord himself will come. And even at the time of Paul, when he wrote this, people were expecting Jesus to come during their lifetime. That's why he kept saying, persevere, persevere. Keep your eyes on him. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have died in Christ will rise. And after that, now this is an interesting statement, we who are still alive, that's why it's called the rapture. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Those two words, caught up, in Latin, the translation of the Latin Bible is called the Vulgate. And caught up in Latin is raptura. So that's where we get the word rapture. Caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Isn't that going to be awesome? And so we will be with the Lord forever. So all my problems are basically solved in Christ. The cross solved my sin problem. The resurrection solves my death problem. The truth heals every problem because the truth is Jesus Christ and his word. Now, because of the resurrection, all my future problems are solved. If you need your problems solved, they're solved in Christ. Every problem. Remember when I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the truth heals societal problems? You know, we're talking about different aspects of the future kingdom and eschatology. And I want to tell you, you know, because I've talked about this a lot, eschatology is extremely important to the understanding of your theology. If you don't have hope in the future, you will not have power in the present. A friend of mine puts it this way. If you don't teach eschatology, your people will have insufficient hope to cope. 
And that's why we spend a lot of time talking about this type of thing, because it's important to understand. So Revelation 21, the very end of this present time we're in, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. What's the first things? Currently, we are living in an era, kind of, which is a bizarre thing to think about. We are living in the future, but present in the present. Because everything that's happened has already happened. God is not constricted by time. We have time. So we look at time and we go, oh, there's a future, but God's not. He's outside of time. So currently, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are living in two realms, presently in this body, future in your new body. And this is why it's so important to know and understand God's word, because his words will last forever. Look, Matthew 24, 35, read it with me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And when it says will not in the Greek, it's a double negative, which means it's never, there's no way it ain't going to happen. God's word is never going to pass away. But heaven and earth will pass away. So again, either this is true, and you believe it as true, and if it is true, then we have to see that this earth is passing away. Look, my material body is passing away, right? One day, if Jesus doesn't come back before I pass away, I will pass away and I will go to be with Jesus and then my body will rise with him and I have a new body. So think about the earth, the world is material. The material world is passing away and one day it will become new like us. The truth heals because it's always true. And we live in a fallen, broken world. We are fallen, broken people. Even though we are redeemed, we still have our brokenness because we have this broken body. But one day we'll be fully redeemed and the world will be restored as it was at the beginning. Now again, God is not confined in time. So we go, oh my gosh, it's taking forever. And God is not taking forever. Every problem is solved. We just haven't arrived at our final destination. I like to think of when a believer passes away, they just change their address. We go to heaven's address, and we get a place to live and be with the Lord. And secondly, because of the resurrection, all future problems are resolved. Because if you have a problem, you have to resolve it, right? Who's great at resolving problems? God. He resolves all problems. He's just. Last week, we talked about how God resolved the problem of sin, the cross. So how does God solve the problem of death again? The resurrection. Now, there's a problem currently. It's called evil. There's good and there's evil. There's light and there's dark. So what will God do to resolve this problem of evil? Because if God is love, which he is, that means that he is good, which he is. If God is good, then he must be against bad, what's evil, right? And he cannot allow evil to permanently exist. Sin is bad, but sin was judged at the cross. And when someone comes to Christ, 
The Bible says that we have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. We live by faith in him. We are a new person. But one day in the near future, evil will be judged permanently. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then the end will come when he, Jesus Christ, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he, Christ, has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So when is Jesus going to hand the kingdom back to the Father? When all evil is destroyed. Think about it. If God is a king, what do kings do? Rule, and they conquer evil. In fact, think about this. Israel was called to be a light to the Gentiles, as we are. And they didn't do a good job. I don't think we do a good job as we could either. But that was their purpose. And God would tell them, destroy the enemies. And sometimes they'd do what God says, and sometimes they wouldn't. And then what happened? They didn't destroy the enemy, and the enemy started to take over. See, God has to destroy evil because he's a just God, and he's king. This will happen at the appropriate time. The Lord's Prayer. We recite it, but have you ever thought of it? Where does our Father live? In heaven. He is a king. Thy kingdom come. So what's going on there? How come again Jesus tells his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come? Didn't he just say, The kingdom is here right in front of you? Well, again, it's not fully established here, currently, time-wise. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're praying that what's happening in heaven currently will happen on earth. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 21. I'm just going to spend a couple minutes in some parables about the kingdom of God that Jesus taught. We have here in Matthew 21, starting in verse 33, Jesus says, listen to another parable. Now, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. So Jesus just gave a bunch of different characters at the first statement. Who's the landowner? God, right? Remember, this is a parable of the kingdom of God, okay? Planted a vineyard. Does anyone have an idea of the vineyard? Israel. Jesus is speaking to Israel. And where did the church come from? Jesus said salvation comes from the Jews. The church was formed out of Israel. And put a wall around it and dug a wine press in and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers. Anyone have an idea who the vine growers are? They would be Israel's leaders who messed up a lot. So those are the characters. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves. Those would be the prophets to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers, remember the religious leaders, took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves or servants, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Here's where it gets interesting. But afterward, the landowner, God, sent his son to them saying, oh, they'll respect my son. But when the vine growers, the religious leaders, saw that son... They said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him and seize his inheritance. 
And they took the son and threw him out of the vineyard Israel and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers. Who's that? The church who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Do you see what's going on here? Their eyes were closed to this though. Jesus is speaking directly to them as their king, their Messiah, and they're rejecting him. Turn now to Luke 19, starting in verse 11. Here's another parable of the kingdom. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. That's important because he's going to Jerusalem to the cross. And they suppose that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Remember the week before they were saying what? Praise the Lord, the Messiah. Blessed is the Lord. Remember? And then the week later, they were saying, crucify him. And so then Jesus says, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. So who is he speaking of? Himself. And he called 10 of his slaves or his servants and gave 10 minas. What's a mina? A mina is equal to about 100 days wages, money. So basically he says, here, take care of my kingdom. And this is part of how you take care of it. Take care of the money, the resources that I loan you because nothing belongs to us. And he called the slaves and he says, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these servants to whom he had given money, he asked for it back with interest that they would do well and some of them did but he gets to the last one he says another came saying and this is verse 20 another came saying master here is your mina which i kept but put away in a handkerchief it's kind of like the parable of the talents for i was afraid of you because you're an exacting man you take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow he said to him by your own words i'll judge you you worthless servant did you know that i'm an exacting man taking up He said, why didn't you just put the money in the bank so that I would collect it with interest? Basically, he's saying, you didn't use the resources I gave you on this earth for my kingdom. You just took it and didn't do anything. And then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one that has 10. And they said to him, master, he has 10 already. I tell you that to everyone who has more shall be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken. Because he didn't do a good job. He wasn't faithful with what God gave him. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. He's talking about people in the particular area there where he's talking about people who had rejected him as king. He's not talking to us necessarily, but it transfers over to us because if there's a king... And there's a kingdom, who's king and who isn't? He's king, I'm not, right? He's God, I'm not. And so either we believe and trust what he says is true and then act upon it, or we rebel against him and his rule in our life. And this is not to be condemning, because there's no condemnation in Christ. But I'll tell you what, wouldn't you want to stand and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? I mean, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Christ, you're going to heaven. But why not go there with a great record of faithfulness, saying, God gave me these things. 
And I tried to use them to the best for his kingdom. Instead of saying, oh, yeah, I thought it was mine. Like when a hearse pulls up to the mortuary, there's a U-Haul behind it. Let's get this good, right perspective about the kingdom of God because there is going to be a day when the king comes back. Now let's find ourselves in the story because we want to put ourselves in the story. Believing the truth about my future. Number one, my future problems are solved currently. Every problem you have is solved. God is timeless. I told you that, so he's not constricted to time. Ephesians 2.6 says, read it with me. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Were they there presently in their bodies? By the time they got the letter, maybe some of them died because it took forever to get letters there. But let's just say that they were. Let's say that you're the church of Ephesus and Paul sends this letter and the pastor of the church starts reading Paul's letter. You're there physically. But then Paul's saying, but you're seated with Jesus already. How the heck does that work? Something happened when you trusted Christ. Guess what happened? You received Christ. You received Christ by His Spirit. That means that you're not the person you were. And it's already taken care of because all those verbs are past tense, which means it's already happened. And when you can see yourself already there, you will live differently here. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, look at all the past tense, and He set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit or a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. If you have the Spirit of God who dwells in you because you believed in Jesus Christ, that's like a down payment. You're already there. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, it's not enough to just hear it. What do you have to do? You believed in Him. The moment you believed in Him, you were sealed with Him. The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, again, the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it when He returns to the praise of His glory. The Faith Life Study Bible says, In the ancient world, a seal indicated an ownership and protection. The notion of sealing in this context is related to the day of judgment. Sealed believers will be kept for their ultimate inheritance, redemption at the end of the age, by the gift of the promised Spirit, which is found in Jeremiah and Ezekiel about the new covenant. And so you remember in Revelation, there's the seal of the beast or the mark of the beast, but there's a seal of the Spirit. The mark of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit living in you. Secondly, my future problems are solved entirely. They're solved currently and they're solved entirely. Revelation 22.3, read it with me. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. Turn to Genesis, the beginning of time. Chapter 3, and if you were here when we went through the series on Genesis, you'll know this. When it says there's no longer any curse, why is there a curse? Well, we go to Genesis chapter 3 and we look at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, the serpent is Satan embodiment of Satan, okay? Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle. And notice he's cursed himself. So he's cursed and it says you will, on your belly you'll go, dust you'll eat all the days of your life. And then verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. We'll get into that in a minute. 
Then verse 16, he says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. And that's a curse in childbirth. And then to Adam, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, you will toil. So the work of the man, what the man does for work will not be as enjoyable because it's cursed, because we're not currently in heaven, right? But we should still serve in the church so that we get an idea of what it means to have fulfillment in our work. Look at this. Alan Ross writes, the initial act of rebellion, human rebellion brings divine justice. They sinned by eating and so would suffer to eat. She led her husband to sin and so would be mastered by him. They brought pain into the world by their disobedience and so would have painful toil to respect their lives. Uh, Genesis 3, 5 says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. So Satan is speaking a lie, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Were their eyes opened? What did they see? Themselves naked and shameful. Satan lied, and they fell for it. Now, in Genesis 1, 28, what does God tell Adam and Eve to do? One of the very first things. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So then what happened in here in verse 3, chapter 3, 16 with the curse? To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. The childbearing still happens, but now it's going to be more painful. So that's the curse that's going on. However, here's the good news. Even in the bad, God brings good because in verse 15, I quickly skipped over it. This is the first gospel statement in Genesis. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed, Satan, the followers of Satan are evil, and her seed, which would be Jesus, he, Jesus, shall bruise you on the head. So that's a death blow. But you, Satan, will only bruise him on the heel. See? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. Now, don't you wish you could travel back in time and tell Adam and Eve, No! Wouldn't that save like a lot of problems? Because needless to say, that one event changed the course of history and future, but not according to God's plan, because he already knew he had salvation in place. And in fact, we jump all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, 6. He says, he said to me, John, it is done. It has come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So if it's done, why do I feel undone? Well, again, we have the kingdom now and the kingdom future. What is God waiting for? Why does he just not show up? I mean, this morning when we're setting up, and don't get me wrong, because I love where we are a lot better than where we were and geographically in this location, but it's a lot more work. So I get here on Sunday mornings and everybody's helping or anything. I'm like, Jesus, you could have come back this morning and we wouldn't have to do this, right? I mean, those thoughts come into my mind because that's the hope that we have. But what is God waiting for? 2 Peter 3.9, read it with me. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And that is why we are on this earth, so that we preach the gospel to everyone we know so that they won't miss out. And my future problems are solved respectively. Everything will become equal and just. 
The scales will be balanced. Romans 12, 9 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Who will be better at vengeance, you or God? So we know this, we need to trust him. And one of the hardest areas in which to trust him is a matter of justice. When we look at injustice, we want the guilty party punished. We want justice. That's an aspect of the image of God, is authority and justice that God implanted in us. But there will come a time where every wrong will be made right. In Luke 12, 3, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Every tweet, everything, everything that's said in everywhere will come to light. Now, those who are in Christ should be happy you're in Christ because you're not going to have to be held guilty for those things. Jesus spoke those words to the hypocrites, the religious leaders who would act one way on the outside, and the inside they were like whitewashed tombs. They were dead. Every evil will be dealt with. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And that's a reference to Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm that David wrote. The Lord Yahweh says to my Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand. That's where Jesus is, right? Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that will hopefully be soon. But we can't forget about the people who don't know this, that have not accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They're lost. The word Maranatha means, come soon, Jesus, quickly. Evil will ultimately be judged. And here's the end, Revelation 20. Then I saw, John writes, then I saw a great white throne, and Jesus sat upon it, from whose presence and earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, these are the unbelievers, the great and small, standing before the throne. Remember when Paul said, every knee will bow and every tongue? This is when that's happening. And books were opened. This is the chronicles of their life. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Those are the ones that have accepted Jesus and the salvation through him and the grace of God. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in their books. You don't want that. You want to be judged according to what you did or what he did? And the sea, the world gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades, so the world and the underworld which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, which is the eternal death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire because God has to judge evil. And he judged evil on the cross. We don't have to be judged for our evil because Jesus, who had no sin, took my sin upon himself. You don't want to be on the wrong end of this equation. And you don't want to sit there and go, oh, you know, I go to church or my family goes to church or whatever. This is a personal decision that you need to make. Either this is true or it's not. And if it's true, then it's serious stuff. Because one day you will stand before God. And if you're in Christ, you have nothing to worry about because God sees you in Christ. But if you're outside of Christ, you have a lot to worry about. I want to pray. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to do that today, you do it. 
Because you don't want to leave here today. You don't know how long you have left on this earth. And then we're going to have the Lord's Supper together, which is a reminder of what Jesus did for us. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth, for your word. Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. And then he said, your word is the truth. So Lord, this is true. We believe it as true because it is your word. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here today that might not have made that decision to trust Jesus Christ for salvation and that they would do that now and they would pray in their heart. Lord Jesus, I believe in you and I ask you to come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and thank you for rising from the dead. And Lord, I pray for the believers here today, either they just believed or they have believed, Lord, and myself, that we would trust you for every part of the story because we are your story. You are writing our story, and I'm sorry that I keep trying to take the pen from your hand. Please write your story according to your will because you're preparing me for heaven. And I don't want to miss out. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amen.